Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. I'm Himra Chenault, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Lanta Carroll, interim pastor of Families in Formation. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations. Because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Avenue, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit. Where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds, and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Hi, I'm Kevin. Um, I'm a member of Park Avenue Baptist Church. I um, participate on the worship team. Uh, and I'm really, really glad to be part of this preaching series, God, Sex, and Intimacy, because if there's anything I love talking about more than God, it's definitely sex. <laughs> if I'm being very honest. Can I get a little more juice in, in the monitors for me, please? Because I'm having a little, just for myself, because um, I know she's a loud queen, but sometimes she just wants a little more, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what that means. I'm also videoing this for my YouTube channel, so... Um, so, God, sex, intimacy. Who feels weird about that in church? There we go. Please be honest. We love an honest moment. Um, but today we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into um, tackling some bad theology, figuring out what good theology looks like, and figuring out why we need to start building new, th- new better theology. Um, because I feel like a lot of times... Um, we've got this narrative that's told about sex and intimacy and how it can, how it's supposed to look within a good Christian marriage, you know, hashtag and TM. Um, but we don't often, so it's, it's like we reject this bad theology and then we start floating out here in the nebulous world that is our own imagination sometimes without having these anchor points. And, um, I'm a big fan of the Bible, weirdly enough, um, you know, being at an immigrant chin and whatnot. Uh, and I don't think that we have to give up biblical authority just because it's been poorly interpreted over the past few millennia. Come on, can I get a witness? So um, before I start, I need to pray because I need it. So if you wouldn't mind, um, if you want to stretch out your hand, you can. <sighs> but I need this. Holy Spirit, holy presence, holy love. I thank you that you live in my body and that you are my body, and that I can't ever get away from you, no matter how hard I try. I thank you that you are love, and that by my healing, other people can receive healing. When I am, I will be known as I am, I will fully know as I am fully known. That's the scripture. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Whew. You, know what, uh, you know what's so revolutionary about saying that as a queer person on the stage is because I didn't always get to used to say that. Come on, somebody. Mm. Okay, we can turn it down a little bit now because I'm realizing I'm about to get real loud. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so for me, the past two weeks have been really, really hard. 
My grandmother passed away two weeks ago, um, went on to um, the ancestors, um, or on to Jesus, however you want to look at that. Um, and then my family doesn't really do sadness well, so like I've been processing a lot after the fact. And then a friend of mine pointed out last night, he's like, Kevin, you haven't stopped since the funeral. So like, I'm not running on fumes right now, but I do know that after this, I'm going to go home and have a really good cry. It's going to be amazing. Um, and also, it's been a little tough because I think a lot of us, if you've been on the internet or like live around like queer Christian land on the hashtags and whatnot, uh, Bethel Church, which is a really large mega church out in California, um, put out, they've been really ramping up their ex-gay ministries, and I'm going to call it that. There's like, oh, it's not ex-gay. We don't do that anymore. We oppose violence to people. And I'm like, if you oppose violence towards the queer community, maybe you should stop uh, violating them. You know, what a concept. The post read, um, can a person leave homosexuality behind? And um, being that it's 2019 and we have voices on the internet, we were just like, actually, um, what if you didn't have to? You know, what if God called your sexuality good and beloved? Um, and then I got into it with them because, of course, what do I love more than God but starting drama on the internet? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but what I loved about this, like, you know, people sharing their stories was that they were starting to articulate a better story, a better narrative, a better theology about what God was doing in the lives of people other than, you know, what the establishment would say is good and pure and holy. Um, Bethel and I think every other kind of conservative Christianity makes sex to be this thing, like either it's the only thing we're going to talk about or we're not going to talk about it at all. Um, but rarely did I grow up in a conversation where it was talked about in any sort of constructive way or positive way or even like, you know, why do we believe what we do? Um, I was talking with my friend, Nadia Boltzweber. Yes, I name-dropped it, and my friend Daniel's going to point it out later, so I'm going to name it for myself. Um, I was talking with my friend Nadia on my podcast, and uh, she said that she was talking to her boyfriend about her new book, and she said, why do you think the church has been so pent up about sex for so long? And he said, well, it's probably because sex is the church's biggest competition, or at least that's how the church has seen it. And I'm like, ooh, that's good. They see that the church has historically seen sex as its biggest competition because sex means, um, you know, as Janelle Monet once says, um, could you help me out real quick? Everything is sex, except sex, which is power. You know, power is just sex. And it just loops back in on itself. Very interesting. But we'll get into that in another sermon day. But that's, that's really what it is. Sex represents this autonomy, this power. This, um, this ownership of oneself, and I think not only of oneself, but of one's body, not of just one's body, of one's spirituality, their connection to God. Heaven forbid that we have an, a connection to God outside of what the establishment has said we, it looks like, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, because if people control their own bodies, what they do with them, that means they eventually they could think for themselves. And if they think for themselves, that means they could give into desire. And desire is obviously sinful because our bodies are completely deprived. And we want to make sure that they don't fall into sinful behavior because we don't want them to go to hell. Noble cause. Misguided. But you know, I get it. <laughs> but that's fear, right? That's the, I don't think that's like a, a truly a, a choice to belong to a spiritual tradition or to God. Um, when you say, like, hey, we want you to do this thing a certain way so that you don't go to hell, that's not, like, a loving decision to choose God. That's like saying, hey, do you love me while being held at gunpoint? You know? Um, so I, uh, 
when I, when I think about this, so like, you know, we've kind of like had this thing called purity culture, which if you don't know, it's basically the belief that sex is reserved for marriage, marriage, uh, between one uh, heterosexual cisgender man and one heterosexual cisgender woman. And uh, you're supposed to have sex only then and not before, and only if you've walked down the aisle and you know, said a whole bunch of nice things and like, promised like, we're never, ever, ever, ever going to break up. And then you can have sex, and then all of a sudden your desire is good. And that sends a lot of mixed signals to a lot of people. So all of us kind of grew up with this like, dichotomy. It was like, my desire is bad, my desire is bad. And then we realized that this narrative that they told us doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. Now, it works out for some people, like, like we know, like the mostly white, mostly able-bodied, cishet couples. And then for those of us who are in the room who don't fit into that box, or even some of us who do fit into that box, it still didn't work for us because we realized our entire attitude about marriage and sex was idolatrous. Come on. And now what I mean by idolatrous is that we put the marriage at the center of our lives instead of Jesus. And what I mean by Jesus is becoming the best version of ourselves so that we can give it to the rest of the world so they can become the best version of themselves. Come on, somebody. So, so here, the bad theology is this, um, that having sex outside of this prescribed way of doing heterosexual marriage is bad, is sinful. Um, and that doesn't work for me for a number of reasons. And here we go. So I was Googling some facts, as one does, I was Googling some facts um, about um, who is having sex before marriage these days. And don't worry, I'm going to come back to the Bible in a minute. Don't worry. But um, I, Googled, I Googled that, and the first thing that came up was this blog, and I kid you not, it's titled, Four Cool Things About Abstinence in the USA. And I thought, wow, that is wicked cool. <laughs> um, the first fact was this, 3% of people report saving themselves for marriage. I'm like, wow, that is very cool. And this is not to shame anybody who's like wanting to save sex for marriage. I think that can be a beautiful thing, but only if you're, do if you're doing it for the right reasons, absolutely. Um, but that means the following, 97% of us aren't doing that. <laughs> so what does that mean then, right? Um, so that's the bad theology that uh, sex outside of marriage is bad. Um, and I don't jive with that because I don't think it's biblically tenable. Um, I don't believe that we have to go by this theology that has historically oppressed us in so many different ways. Um, and as uh, the Reverend Broderick Greer said, he's a, a queer, black, Episcopal priest who said, while some do theology from the purchase of power, there are those of us who do it for survival. And if it can oppress us, it can be used to liberate us. So. We should do that, and we deserve to. And also Jesus did that, because if you grew up like thinking that the Bible was basic instructions before leaving earth, then that's like a really, really shallow reading of the scripture, IMO, in my opinion. Because um, like, that misses out on this whole thing where we're supposed to be wrestling with scripture, where we're supposed to be getting into the text, finding out the context, and then also responding with our own personhood. And this is also what we see Jesus doing in the gospel scripture that Naretha read earlier today in Luke. You know, Jesus heals this woman of her affliction that she's had for her, you know, some odd many years. And they said, oh, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. You know, like, you know, this church leader gets pissed off about Jesus. We don't do that in church. You save that for afterwards when we're not here together. So, 
And the Lord said to him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Why do you care about your animals more than you care about the person in front of you? Why do you care about this system more than you care about the person in front of you? Why do you care more about what you think sex should be than the person who's suffering right in front of you from the same teaching you're, like you're teaching? Why? Do, like, why? And so if our people are bound up, it is our duty to set them free. If we are Christ on the earth, it is our duty to articulate a better way of living. And so that is what we're going to get into today. Um, and I think that, well, let me tell you what, guys, the lectionary was lit this week, if you will. The lectionary, if you don't know, is a, uh, a prescribed set of texts that a lot of churches, especially mainline denominations, use to go throughout the book. So every single Sunday, the, the body of Christ is preaching from like the same texts and the same ideas. And so also during this week, Isaiah 58, starting in verse 9b. 9b? Who knew that there was a 9b? I didn't know they did the sub-subdividing. Um, and this is what the, the prophet Isaiah says. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. I've been feeling real gloomy lately, y'all. But let me tell you what, this gives me some hope. If you remove the yoke, what is a yoke? A yoke is something that they put on the back of beasts of burden in order to like, get them to pull stuff through the field. And Jesus talked about how his yoke was easy and his burden was light. And what he was doing when he went up to these uh, teachers of the law, these synagogue leaders, saying, you know, your yoke's too heavy. Your yoke is too heavy for these people. You're telling me that this woman who's suffering can't get healed right now? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so Jesus was removing the yoke. And yoke is not just a physical issue, right? The yoke is like this bad theology. So let's get free today. Let's get rid of one of these yokes today. Amen? So how do we start wrestling with this idea around sex and marriage and all that stuff? Um, first of all, what is marriage according to the Bible? I'm very, very curious. Can you hit that next slide real quick? That's okay. So according to the Bible, I know you can't read it, but it's got man plus woman, nuclear family, boring. Just kidding. Then we get real spicy with man plus wife plus concubines. Um, Abraham did that. Uh, Manessa, apparently. Behelthashazar. That's a good name. Ladies and gentlemen, bring to the stage Behelthashazar. <laughs> um, we've got man plus woman plus property, which included humans. Weird. Uh, man plus woman plus woman plus woman, you know, polygamy, which is different from polyamory, but we'll get into that in a different sermon, too. Um, man plus brother's widow, which was a Leverite marriage, which is like... <laughs> You know, kind of weird now. Um, then we get really, really real. Uh, it also prescribes a rapist being able to marry their victim. And also a male soldier being able to take a prisoner of war as their captive spouse. Um, and then also the last one that says male slave plus female slave because people were allowed to arrange marriages among their property in order for them to... like. So yeah, the Bible's really clear. These kinds of marriages are great. It's in the Bible. The Bible is clear, you guys, right? Or have we, over thousands of years, looked at these ancient practices surrounding marriage as property and like as property transfer and sex as a means of domination? Haven't we evolved since then? Haven't we had an experience that said, mm, maybe it's not right to own people? I don't know. <laughs> Wacky idea. And what caused us to evolve, right? 
what caused us to get there. It was experience. Enter, you can go ahead and switch back to the next slide. Enter the next thing I want to introduce to you. And if you're a theology nerd, you already know about this. It's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And I think that this is something we can apply to every single thing, every single kind of theology we want to build. So the Wesleyan Quadrilateral was developed by John Wesley. And John Wesley is the founder of Methodism, which we now have the UMC. Um, and I have so many Methodist friends who are just like, oh, there's so many Methodists who aren't Wesleyan, and it's very annoying. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. No, I don't. <laughs> but what does it mean? Um, so for us, uh, Christianity and purity culture says that sex is between one man and one woman in covenantal marriage. And what is our experience of that? Some of us, uh, you know, we can't marry the opposite sex because it would be living a lie. And then some of us did marry an opposite sex partner in order to be right with God, thinking that was like the right way to be holy and whatnot. And that kind of went all sorts of ways. And, you know, most of the time, at least for a lot of my friends, it was painful. It was painful for them. Some of us didn't want to wait till marriage and then we're simply shamed for, you know, having sexual desire because we're normal humans with bodies and bodies with desires to connect with other people. So we were shamed for something that was completely normal. And then some of us felt so much shame around our sexual desire that even after we enter affirming in open spaces like this, we don't feel free to express ourselves. We don't feel free to express uh, how we are or who we are or how we want to present um, because shame. And then we get triggered and then we get go back into it and we don't tell anyone that we're feeling ashamed and we just keep going back into it. Y'all, that's, that's the thing, shame. Shame is our experience of this ethic of sexuality. And why is it shame and not guilt in this case? Because guilt is about, I've done something wrong and I need to change my actions. Shame is, I am something wrong. And for sec when we talk about sexuality in general, it's my belief that because sexuality is so beautifully interwoven into our bodies and our spirits and our minds, it's not just about who you want to have stimulate your genitals on any given day. Weird, right? Yeah, see, that was funny. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Sex is not about who you want to stimulate your genitals. It is about, well, yeah, it's partly that. But it's also about how you perceive beauty. It is about how you connect with another person. It is about how you start to create relationships, not just romantic relationships, but like how you form all of your close relationships. Everything is about connection. Everything is about that. That's all sex really is. It's like, I want to be seen, I want to be known, I want to be held. What's wrong with that? So, I'd like to wager that because sexuality is not just about those things, we have to excavate that. And um, so that's our experience, right? Shame, that's the first leg of the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which drives us to our reason. And reason, which is the second leg of the Wesleyan quadrilateral, Wesleyan quadrilateral? Yeah, Wesleyan quadrilateral. Our reason says, hmm, well, shame doesn't feel good. That's it. Okay, so this doesn't feel good. This feels bad in my body. This feels like I am separated from God. And my reason tells me that if I'm separated from God, that's not a good thing, right? It's not good for man to be alone. That's in the Bible. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and so our reason drives us back to our text for reimagination and reinterpreting, just like Jesus did. Hmm. See where I'm getting at? So, what is uh, the, the reason says, okay, well, what is the Bible, drives us back to the scriptures and say, what does the Bible say about this? Um, and we've already established, you know, that the Bible kind of doesn't really have a very clear sexual ethic, you know, because we've got all these different versions of marriage. 
um, that we tend to ignore as a part of the larger conversation because it's so much easier just to pick and choose verses from the Bible, you know what I'm saying? Not that any of us have ever done that. I'm kind of throwing shade at Bethel, by the way, if you didn't catch that. Um, <clears throat> so if we see that the scripture you know, is a little unclear, a little murky, or at least that there's room for interpreting it differently, then we go back to our tradition, which is the fourth leg of this Wesleyan quadrilateral. We've got our experience driving us to our reason, our reason driving us back to our scripture, and then our scripture causing us to look at our tradition over, overall. And what does tradition say? Tradition says sex belongs in this category over here. You're only allowed to have sex in these kinds of things. And does it end there? Do we just say, oh yeah, for sure, yeah, absolutely. We just, I'm just gonna like, not do the sex outside of that, okay. No, that's not how it works. That's not even what Jesus did. What Jesus did is he said, you hypocrites, don't you see that this is hurting somebody? Don't you see that this is hurting somebody? And so why won't we take the yoke off of ourselves? So what do we do? We start to believe, we start to look at the Bible, and again, because the Bible has been so poorly used over the past, you know, 2,000 years or so, um, we have the right to start reinterpreting Scripture. So let's look at a couple verses. I know that, like, we've already been into it, but trust me, I'm wrapping it up in a little bit. So you will get to brunch on time, you guys. Don't worry. Genesis 2, Adam and Eve. Nowhere in that scripture does they, is there a marriage ceremony, not in the way that we think of it today. said, uh, God brought the man to the woman, um, and he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And it doesn't actually say they even have sex right after that, but I imagine if you see like bone of my bone, like you want a bone, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that, that to me was always told, like, like that's the first couple, that's the first marriage, but there was not a wedding ceremony there. And so, this is an example of sex outside of marriage that led to something good, namely, the creation of the human race, if you want to go by biblical literal standards. Wow. So, what's the other one? Let's go to Song of Solomon 5. And this is, like, real juicy, in my opinion. Um, Song of Solomon, a group of erotic poetry smack dab in the middle of the Bible. How come no one talks about it? It's because they're scared of sex, and it's their competition. This is what it says, and this is from the perspective of a young woman. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night, unquote. I put off my garment. How could I put it back on again? I bathed my feet. How could I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand into the opening, and my inmost being yearned for him. I arose to open to my beloved, my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh upon the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my, my, my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. <sighs> Talk about a sexual tension drama, mama. So what do we have here? We have a scene of a woman who's just like, you know, like, you know, we had this like beautiful experience and then he just disappeared. I mean, how many of us have had that experience? You know what I mean? I'm just like, where do you go? I thought I was going to make you breakfast. Um, this is an example of a black woman owning her sexuality. And I say that in particular because elsewhere in Song of Solomon, she identifies herself and says, I am black and beautiful. 
And where else in scripture are you going to find a black woman owning her sexuality? That's beautiful. And that's powerful. Now what about the story of Ruth? Let's get one more example in here. The story of Ruth is this. Ruth is uh, not included. She's a Moabite, right? She's a Moabite? Thank you. So you got to verify it with my friends because sometimes I get my little details mixed up. So Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. The sons have died, but Ruth says to Naomi, don't ask me to turn back from you or to leave from you. For where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Sounds real gay to me. A woman saying that to a woman? Ooh, cute. And also, I think it's ironic that this is between two women, and then it's yet it's used at like every single evangelical wedding I've ever been to. So she's there. Naomi and Ruth are running out of time. They don't have money. They don't have resources because they're women in the ancient world. So they return to the land of Naomi's forefathers. Uh, and um, one night, um, as they're there trying to make ends meet, um, Naomi tells Ruth, go out into the fields and you know, see what you can glean from there. And they, she meets Boaz and basically says, okay, here's the plan. This is Naomi telling Ruth, the mother-in-law telling the daughter-in-law, this is how we're going to snag him. What you do, in the middle of the night, after he's at the threshing floor and has had enough to drink and passes out, go uncover his feet and lie next to him. Now, uncovering his feet in the ancient Jewish text is a euphemism for uncover his whole naked body. You know? And so he's like, go uncover his feet and then just like lie next to him. And so it says, in the middle of the night, uh, she did all this, and Boaz wakes up, and Boaz is like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like, um, I don't remember inviting you into my bed. This feels really weird. And she explains to him, like, you're, you know, uh, this is who I am, and, you know, this is our situation, and um, this is what I was told to do. And he says, rather than turning her away, he says, you know what, like, you're a good woman. Like, you're part of this family. And so as that, I'm going to, you know, I, we can do this. We can, like, now granted, like, I don't know if that was like the actual exchange that says other things, but it does say that Ruth laid with Boaz until morning. Again, another euphemism for sex. And so what we have here, once again, now granted, like, this is the middle of the night. You know, they didn't have no priest coming in and say, hey, Mazel, you guys are married now. <laughs> no, they, they, had, they, they had the sex, and it was sex outside of marriage that led to something good. Because you know who Ruth's great-great-great-grandbaby is? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ! Ding, 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 ding! <laughs> this is what it means to do theology, guys. This is what it means to do. So, this, you know, the Bible isn't clear about a lot of stuff, right? And the Bible is, this is not me saying the Bible is saying you should have sex before marriage. What this is saying is that there's precedent, that there are ways of looking at scripture that are redemptive and necessary for us in order to survive in this world, to establish a new kind of theology, a better theology that is life-giving, that people don't have to feel afraid of, that people can actually, so that we can actually wrestle with the scripture. And I, again, Wesleyan quadrilateral, my experience driving me to my reason, driving me to the scripture to say, did we get it wrong? Did we get it wrong? And many people are going to look at you like you're a false teacher and that you're just picking and choosing your verses and, you know, you're just making it work however you want to for your sexuality. And I'm just like, so are you, so... <laughs> don't get it. So, like, we don't have to disengage from Scripture, and I don't think we should. We shouldn't give it up. And the person's going to say, like, well, what gives you the right... What gives you the right to interpret scripture like this? And you know what Jeremiah did say, the prophet? He said, 
Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See today that I appoint you over the nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plan. My friends, it is time for us to pluck up some bad theology. It's time for us to tear down the things that have been destroying us. And you're appointed as a co-heir with Christ, as somebody who is a constituent in creation, you have the right and authority over your personhood to say, this is what feels right to me. This is what feels right to me in the Holy Spirit, which is what the early church was doing anyways, just going around long again. So what feels right to me in the Holy Spirit? I know that I just went on a whole tangent, and if you didn't get that, that's fine. Um, but that's the whole thing. We have the right and authority and the calling to do theology better. So if you've walked in here today with some sort of shame or if this has brought up all sorts of questions or if this makes you feel weird, follow that. Follow that question to the end. Follow that feeling of like, I just don't know. Let me tell you what though, because at the end of it, there's goodness. And at the end of it, there might be even more questions. But you know what, me you know what more questions means? More space, more openness, more bigness, more of God. So that's what I've got to say. So I'm going to invite the band back up as I close out my little word and prayer. God, I, I love you. I love that you have appointed us to tear down the systems that keep us from flourishing. I love that you have created us fearfully and wonderfully. I love that like you hold all of us. So I'd ask God, today, as we begin to do new theology, as we begin to figure out ways to bring your kingdom to earth, that we would do so with power and authority, that we would not be able to, we wouldn't have to shrink back, that would all be yours. All this we ask in your name. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into the world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God who created you loves you and empowers you. To love boldly. Live inclusively. And to serve creatively. Amen. Amen.